Hello everyone listening on the podcast. This is Tom. I have with me as a guest on the show today, coach John Proctor, who is one of our performance coaching plan coaches at Lattice. And we are going to be talking about and discussing the subject of being a parent and specifically from both of mine and John's point of view, being a dad. Now we've had a number of requests of this over the last year or so because being a parent is one thing, being a dad is another, but trying to manage lots of training and climbing on top of that is a whole other kettle of fish. So John and I want to break down our own experiences and these are always gonna be our own experiences and give you some insight into that and then secondly, give you some strategies and tools that we've used and also use with some of our clients who are also parents. And hopefully you've got some useful takeaways on that that you can deploy back into your own life, family, climbing and training habits. So John, welcome first off. How you doing? Yeah, all good. I think the first thing I wanna do is give everyone an overview on you as a person and your parenthood status so that everyone listening knows whether you're a single parent or you've got six kids to feed at home just so we know the the realities of the situation and your work life and things yeah well i've definitely not got six kids thank god so i'm married i've been married for seven years this year i've got two kids um two and four um i've got two jobs currently uh, which I work probably 40 to 70 hours a week. It kind of fluctuates a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a busy four years, definitely. Tired a lot of the time, but always motivated, I guess. And what's your other job that you do away from the coaching work that you do at Lattice? Because that's quite hardcore in a yeah, way. Yeah, well, I'm a telecommunications engineer, so I'm 34 now. Um, and I kind of, I left school, I worked in a post office for, for four weeks because my mum insisted that I must get a job. Otherwise, I were out. Um, and then I got an apprenticeship as a telecommunications engineer when I was 16. And yeah, I've been doing that for the last 18 years. So I specialise in installation of fibre optic cables. Um, kind of lots of different companies that we work for, but predominantly sort of like hospitals, schools, police stations, big office blocks. Um, but yeah, obviously like with the, the fibre optic rollout that's sort of like happened nationally, it's kind of like kept us really busy over the last, last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone listening, and some of you would have seen John's videos in our YouTube channel and know a little bit about him, but from my perspective, John's one of those ultra hardworking, really good work ethic people, both on his job, but also within his climbing. So take it that this is, John is a full honour, someone who goes <laughs> hard on things. So if you want to hear about strategies to use, when you're really trying to find efficiencies and get a lot in in a tough juggle, then listen to yeah, listen to what John's going to say on this front. <laughs> I was um, this is when me and Ollie first started talking about sort of like me coming to work for Lattice. Like, I was so motivated to sort of like work with parents, I guess, or or other people, not just parents, but other people who are busy. I think because it is really really difficult, and I was sort of like really excited to share what I've learned so that other people to give other people the opportunity to sort of like to continue to improve in, in whatever it is that they do whether it be work or, or specifically climbing as we do so 
but yeah, we're really motivated to get involved with this. And we're good. Yeah, well, let's uh, we'll we'll get into some uh, yeah realities of parenting and being a dad and climbing. Uh, just to give everyone a little bit of context, where my parenting background comes from. I'm a little bit older than John. I'm 41. Nearly forgot my age there for a second. Um, and I have two kids. They are 10 and 7. And I'm married as well. And my working week can be, it's probably quite similar to John's, maybe anywhere between 40 to 60 hours, sometimes 70 hours. Very, very rarely under 40, almost never, unless I'm on a climbing trip. So we both do, yeah, relatively long hours. We both really like climbing and we try and do a reasonable amount of it. And we both have two kids. So. Quite similar. Yeah, strangely. Yeah, strangely yeah. enough. If we start with, and I know some people listening will potentially be expecting their first child or have just had their first child. What was the first six months like for you? What changed in terms of the climbing dad thing for you in the first six months? What would you tell your friends who are about to have their first child? The first thing that I would tell, well, I avoid telling people this, but it's hard. It is really difficult, and I, but I think for me it's it, the the difficulty was the first couple of weeks I kind of tried to carry on doing the same thing that I'd always done, which is I used to go rock climbing on Sundays. That was sort of like my outdoor day. I couldn't get out in the week because of work, but I used to have as soon as I finished work, I'd either go home for my tea and then have a big training session, um, or. I would go straight from work into a big training session. And for the first couple of weeks of becoming a parent, probably selfishly, I continued trying to do that. And it very, very quickly became apparent that that wasn't going to happen anymore because you've got sleepless nights. My wife was at home on maternity leave. She's going through this as well for the first time. So she's incredibly tired. So me getting home at seven o'clock when she just put our son to bed, that wasn't really going to be an option. So I had to change my training patterns and the way that I socialised almost straight away. So it was almost like a, a huge change, like straight away. But I could sort of like implement, or I started trying to implement my training, fit that into my family life straight away. So did you find that, like for you, did, did you have that same thing where you felt like you had to change? Or did you yeah. try and try to keep chipping away a little bit? I had a blend, so I think for me, and I've seen this in other parents, I had a real purple patch for about the first six months. What my like purple patch is, I'm not sure this is just a British phrase, but basically like mega form for about six months where I was really tired, I felt awful. It was the first time in my whole life that I hadn't had excessively long sleeps. Like yeah, I yeah. like a lot of sleep, or I used to, and I was just in full denial, but I was going so hard at it still, just pretending that it was all okay and turning yeah. up to the crag feeling terrible. And I actually had a very, very good period. And then it all broke down about the six month period and reality very much hit home. But at the same time, I'd thought ahead and I made a home training board at home in the garden. And yeah. I had that prepped for when my first one arrived. So I was mostly training at home. And I think about that time I stopped going to indoor climbing walls because it was too inefficient. Yeah, I did something similar. So like, 
I remember my, I, I didn't tell my wife that I was going to build this board in the garage and I sort of like, it was pretty bad to be fair. Like I kept like slight, if I had an early finish, I'd go into the garage and sort of like put a few more timbers on the wall. And then one day she came home and this sort of like a 20 degree traverse wall and like two fingerboards on, on the wall. And uh, she's like, oh, how long has this been here? And I'd been sort of like chipping away for like two weeks. So like, I had, I kind of like had that in place ready. But I, for me, I, I quickly, it quickly became apparent that I couldn't carry on doing the same thing that I'd always done. So the the early morning session was the first thing that changed for me. So what we, me and my wife did was, and I don't know if anybody else had done this, is that I never wanted my son to get into a state where he was so hungry that he cried to wake up. So we set our alarms every three hours through the night to feed. So our alarm went off and whether he was awake or not, we fed him. I'm not sure if anybody else had done that or if that's just all like a common thing. But we've done that with both of our children. But because I was working and my wife was on maternity leave, I did want to get involved with the overnight feeds. But the sort of like the 10 o'clock feed and the 1 o'clock feed, it was just too difficult for me because I struggled to get back to sleep once, once my sleep's been broken. So I used to feed him at 7 o'clock then I'd wake up again at four o'clock to do the morning feed. Sometimes I did get back into bed if I wasn't working till six, six thirty. So I'd feed him, he'd be done for half past four, I'd get him back to sleep. But most of the time I would just lay there for like for an hour. So then I had sort of like had this little bit of a light bulb moment where rather than disturbing my wife, taking him back upstairs and getting him to bed because he was sleeping in our room at that time because he was you know a couple of weeks old. Why don't I try and have a fingerboard session? Can this be a a place where I can slot a little bit of training in and get a, get an hour of time back that I've lost that three hours in the evening because I wasn't having the evening sessions anymore after work. So I kind of made that work for a couple of weeks, or I think it was probably a few months, but then I kind of fell back into old habits when he dropped that four o'clock feed. So once he was sort of like sleeping through then and we like pushed his bottles out to every six hours, that was one of the first ones to drop. So... I did it for a few months and then that, that morning session we're going after that. But I kind of look back on that time as like, being really quite fun, I think. Like having sort of like a, a three-week-old baby wrapped up in blankets and a little bouncer like kind of watching me fingerboarding. Do you know that's it's, it's setting a good example, I think, I hope. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's like you saw the opportunity early on. You identified there were things that you could do that were massive habit changes in your life. And I wonder whether that actually spilled out later on to how you dealt with and structured your training, because I think you're quite far on the edges of the spectrum in terms of how far you'll go to find efficiencies and use of your time. Because person, I mean, I'm quite motivated and you're a lot better than I am in terms of that discipline. Like when I wake up in the night, I literally feel like a dead person. I mean, I, w- I wasn't, I don't think, I mean, I wasn't there at your house, but I don't think I was half as contributing or as good on like nighttime feed stuff because at that stage I was still in the the sort of status of I would be like a zombie person. I mean, I was at university and full on fire alarms would go off in the night and people would have to come wake me up with that? fire alarms going off. So I could not wake up and that took me quite a few years to be like a lighter sleeper during the night and be some yeah. kind of you so me doing a 4am fingerboard session no way I don't even think I could hang off some jugs at 4am I'm broken <laughs> but I, I, I will flip that on the head and say that I think me and you are very similar people but opposite ends of the day so I couldn't do what you do with the training at 
11, 12 o'clock at night. There's absolutely no way that I'm doing that. But yet you find the motivation to train at that time of day, don't you, at times? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's where my strategy went to. It was to, to train really, really late at night. So as I, I move my daytime work into the evening, but it had to be, and it did become a problem eventually, but it had to be so late in the night that I could, I was still getting, you know, six to eight hour blocks of time of rest yeah. between sessions. So it ended up having to be after midnight and that <laughs> presented its own issues. Yeah. So you would train at sort of like three, four o'clock in the afternoon and then you have have your rest and then you'd go again at midnight. Was that the sort of like... No, I'd be late morning. So I'd, be, oh, right. so I'd either train or go to the crag and do a really short session in the morning. So I might go drive out to Raven Tour, go and do a quick session for maybe two hours. It was always quite short. I was quite yeah. directed about it. And then I might train essentially 10 hours later, yeah. very, very late at night. And that was that was my method that worked for quite some time. But it was all about blocking out time to when no one would notice the impact. I was trying to put those bits of training and climbing into parts of the day that wouldn't change or affect other people or my work or yeah. or other things. That's the thing, isn't it? Is that, it's that parental guilt, I guess, that you get where... I don't know if you suffer with this. It's definitely a thing where like you almost feel guilty for having your own time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I'd I'd be like at the crag and sort of like con- I'd, I'd get there at nine o'clock and by ten thirty I'd be looking at my watch thinking oh god I should be at home really late but I didn't really want to be because that's my time and I think you'll you'll be a better parent if you get a little bit of your own time I'm not saying take the mick of it like you know what I mean but you you almost feel guilty for giving yourself some breathing space sometimes and that never ever goes away I don't think like for me I still get that now I've just come to terms with the fact that it's there I mean, I do feel guilty about it but I'm definitely a better parent for having a little bit of my own time and if if I gave my children ev- absolutely everything that I've got to offer would I eventually become almost resentful that I am not the person that I was mm. or that I could potentially could potentially be it's a difficult one parental guilt isn't it yeah yeah I, I think I'm and I've always struggled with this is that I had, I would say, I'm going to be harsh on myself, not a great deal of it when my kids were really young because I didn't have lots of feedback from children. So when they're really young, they don't, they don't give much back, essentially. Not, not, not engaging. I yeah, think. they're not very engaging. And I'm a, quite a hyperactive, yeah, I want to go all the time type person. So that behaviour or feedback didn't kick in for me until they got a little bit older and then that's increasingly become a thing which affects how my behaviour is and how my my habits are but I was further supported by the fact that one I'm a professional climber so I had a slight difference in my work setup compared to you and then Kim was my wife was always very lenient and understanding about the amount of time that I'd have in the daytime to go and do that climbing because effectively it's my job and there was a lot of flexibility around doing that Mm. so I think we're quite there's some similarities it but also different differences yeah and it's yeah difference in yeah (laughs) the amount of guilt that you you feel that what do you think to the expectations 
that you feel around parenting and before becoming a parent versus after because I always found that I had this ideal world that I was imagining imagining what it would be like as a parent and the more that I set those expectations as being amazing and blissful and you know this perfect world because I kind of wanted the kids to be playing around at the crag and we'd go out and we'd all climb together and everything like that absolutely not this did not happen and it and I think I reacted badly to it at the time because I had an unrealistic expectation mm. of how easy and how simple it would be and then I reacted in the opposite way so I wasn't really negative on going I don't like this I just don't want to do it because yeah. I found it so much worse than I was expecting with an unrealistic expectation I think that you've just described the dream and in reality like that the dream doesn't really happen does it I, like I took my kids um, climbing with me when they were really young, you know, like when they were babies and they were sort of like, you could get them to sleep and then you could sort of like sneak an afternoon bouldering session in. But then as they got older, that definitely becomes more and more difficult. So like my expectations of a parent was that, yes, I would take them to the crag and they'd be sort of like, I could take a little blanket to the crag and I'd put a few toys down and I could go bouldering at Rubik or no or down to Crestbrook or at Raventorum, and they'd be happy sort of like playing with the toys on the sort of like, on this little blanket that I've set out, this nice play area. But that definitely, for me, that didn't happen. And I do think that parental guilt kind of comes back in there that, is that the best place for a child? Like, is that the best thing for them? Or am I including them in what's the best, what I think is the best thing for me? Mm. And that's where that sort of like, parental guilt being a little bit selfish or, that's how I perceive it anyway, sort of like comes across because you're kind of like incorporating your children into your lifestyle rather than you trying to fit in what's best for them. Yeah, it's, I mean, likewise, I tried. In the UK, it's quite tricky slash very difficult doing that outdoor family thing at the crag due to, and anyone listening who's in the UK knows this whole thing, seasons are very changeable quite often quite damp and wet and cold so it's a bit of a nightmare compared to say being at Sp- in Spain where it's nice dry warm heat it's a little bit easier to be in those crag settings but even when we actually moved to Spain temporarily when our first one was a few months old sorry our second one was a few months old and our first one was four or so and even there it wasn't actually as practical and as easy as I thought it would be because We'd go to the crag and there was six dogs just running all over the place and my four-year-old was toddling around and the dogs would either, I'd be worried they're going bite, to bite our daughter or yeah. run her over or someone was going to pull a rock off the crag and it just wasn't practical. So we got to a position where it actually became a better way to do things as a parent of segregating out my climbing activity because I'm very focused and direct about what I want to do and I don't my mindset doesn't go into a I'm thinking about lots of other people I'm thinking about my climbing and performance and it didn't mix very well for a family so I just separated out those two things and it was a struggle for my other half and it still is for sure because we aren't able to do that mix of things at the crag but I think it's good to set the expectation that that is a idealistic 
dream that is hard to achieve for many. It is doable, but it's really hard. It is, but the one place that I've seen it work is when you've got where both parents are climbers. Yeah. And I've seen this quite a few, even at British Crags, where they sort of like give each other 15, 20 minutes. So if they're bouldering, because it kind of works better bouldering as opposed to sport climbing, doesn't it? Because as a belay, you've constantly got to be paying attention. But yeah, so like when I've seen it work, it's one parent would be down on the mat, that sort of like dream that I thought I had. The parent would be entertaining the child so that they're engaged. And then the other parent would be bouldering. Yeah. And then when he or she is fatigued and she needs a rest, because as we all do, you know, I mean, you've got to take your rest between your attempts, they would then swap over. And I think that looked like it worked, but that only works when both parents are climbers. And obviously, for, for my situation, my wife doesn't understand climbing. She doesn't understand why I get up at five o'clock and hang off a piece of the wood. Like, she just doesn't get it. Like, she tried it once and she said her arms hurt. <laughs> she was complaining because it was too difficult. But yeah, so I think, like, it's... You have an expectation in your mind of how it's going to be. Don't be frustrated when, when that isn't the case. Just adapt. And may, maybe you are going to... I was going to say then, you may have to change. You are going to have to change the way that you behave. But don't be frustrated by that. You just do the best that you can possibly do under the circumstances that you have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very similar to when you start a new training programme or you work towards a new goal, is that you you have these ideas about how it's going to be, but then when you're faced with reality your better method is to adapt to the realities rather than fixating and thinking about the ideal or the fantasy that you have that you can do with it. And the next question I want to ask you is, and we kind of talked about this in terms of home board setup and having that in the in your garage and making that, and I have one in my garden, and that's not possible for everyone. Were the things that you changed in your home environment or your habits in the home environment in terms of childcare. And I'll, I'll start with my first one was to move my fingerboard from the cellar basement underneath the house, where I'd have to go out to the garden, walk around to the back garden door and let myself in to do a session, to now I moved it into the kitchen so I could look after children, even when they were very, very young and just in a cradle, but I could still do a fingerboard session at the same time when they were sleeping. I was, well, I moved houses um, so I've had two training setups essentially. The first one it was more difficult because it was in the garage, which was it was a three-story house, and the garage was on the basement, if you like, and then the the living space was on the first and second floor. So my setup was downstairs. That was incredibly difficult to train because of what you've just described. Where I almost felt like I was taking myself away from the house, even though you're still in it. So like my wife or my child would still be upstairs, but I didn't have the option to sort of like to move anything around the house that's all I had but with this new house and it was kind of a selling point for me if I'm honest the garage opens into the kitchen so my training space as soon as I opened that garage door it felt like I was in the house and I was in the mix of it so sometimes I'd be doing sort of like 60% repeaters and I could literally see my wife six feet away so it felt like I was still part of the family but I do feel very very fortunate in that situation but I did kind of make that situation for myself as well. We, we walked into the house and it, I saw the garage, big high ceiling. And we sat, I'll never, never, never forget it. We sat in the car after and said, oh, what do you think? I said, we're having it. 
Like that, that garage is amazing. <laughs> I wasn't really fussed about anything else in the house. Like it was a really lovely house. But mm-hmm. yeah, the garage kind of sold it for me. But because of that reason, because I felt like I could train and still be part of the family. It's almost like it's a different room, but it's like you've just said, it's almost like bringing your fingerboard into, into the kitchen. Mm. And did you have the same thing that I had where my frequency of going to indoor walls, so commercial gyms, and then the crags outside significantly dropped over the period of having the kids as they got older and then you added a second one. Because I would say before before I had children, and we'll exclude some of the work that I was doing as a professional root setter, so that was you know partially my job, would be, I'd probably be at the crag two to three times a week and I'd be at an indoor gym two to three times a week. And over the period of the next five years, it probably dropped to an indoor gym once every other week, maybe every third week. So really infrequent. And then outdoors, I'd say quite consistently once a week. But it really dropped down because I just couldn't get the reality of the frequency of managing family, job, and climbing, and training, and trips. Something had to give. Yeah. I were exactly the same, so you probably don't know this about me, but the the year before I had children, I actually reduced my working hours to four days. But I did four, I kind of came to an agreement that I would do full-time hours over four days. And the reason being that we were just about to get married, we'd discussed children, so I kind of knew it was on the cards. And I'd worked a, a five-day week like for like quite a long time. But I just wanted to do as much rock climbing as possible. So I decided to have Fridays off so I could go rock climbing every Friday and every Sunday and get those do- that, that double session in from March to October, November for a full year and just absolutely maximise my time before I went back to like a five-day working week. So at that time, I was consistently climbing outdoors twice a week because that was the rule that I gave myself was if you are having this day off work, you are going rock climbing, whatever the weather, find dry rock. And I, I did, to be fair, like I did it for quite, quite a while. Um, and then I had two indoor sessions per week as well where I would go to the foundry. And then as soon as the kids came along, I was back to the five-day working week. So Sunday became my outdoor day again. But then, because I kind of felt guilty about being away from my family every single Sunday, you know, 52 weeks a year, kind of came to an agreement with my wife that I wouldn't go spend these big days out on Sundays and I would actually train on Sundays. So I would do, like, this quick hit session on a Sunday morning. So at that point, I was training indoors on a Friday and then a shorter session on a Sunday. So I went from four big climbing days to kind of two, but then I would have two sessions at home as well. So for me, it probably reduced by maybe 50%. I don't think that was a bad thing. I think I was more structured at that time, which then meant when I had the chance to go rock climbing, I kind of performed better. I felt felt more well-rested because I wasn't completing as much volume. But the sessions that I was completing were of better quality. So you think that it's going to be a really bad thing not climbing as much. But you can make it work so you actually perform better. And if performance is the goal, then then why not? Mm. And do you find that there's a point for you over the years where there is a threshold and you can't step over that where it's either 
too little sleep or not enough climbing time or too much on a fingerboard versus actually going out on rock or what does that where does that threshold feel to you for I guess both yourself but also the clients that we've both worked over the years for me personally that threshold is about 12 hours so I would do split sessions on Mondays Wednesdays and Fridays and then an outdoor session on Friday morning and because I'd sort of like changed to bouldering I could go out really early and still be home by 11 12 o'clock at dinner time so like a really quick hit so like three four hours bouldering which is a lot of time bouldering but yeah so I just for me I don't know if it's available time there's definitely an available time like I definitely can't fit any more than 12 hours a week into my own personal schedule but that's a lot of time to train anyway. Like if you, even if you haven't got kids and you've just got a full time job, like that's enough. That's that's. To be fair, for most people, that's probably too much. Mm. Unless you're a, like a really well conditioned professional athlete, where you're going to be training four or five times a week. But th- that I think that you get a good period of rest within your week as well. So you have good quality sessions and then do nothing for a day. So do a fingerboard session in the morning, a little bit of conditioning, good twelve hours rest session in the evening maybe an hour or an hour and a half and then a full day of rest and you're getting that full day of rest almost every other day and then if you deload every month every three weeks which a three-week mesocycle for a parent is amazing that were an absolute game changer for me um but you're constantly getting that rest you're never far away from it so you never feel overly fatigued yeah i'd say i was in a fairly similar pattern of high intensity work early on in the day then rest for most of the day, then I do my endurance work in the evening, and then I would have a day off, and then I'd come back to it and repeat it. And the only change that I've seen in that habit now with being 41 and having like had 10 years of parenthood go through now is that I can't do day on, day off with strength training anymore. I have to have two full, complete days oh, off really? That's with strength. And it's, re- it's, it's markedly changed maybe in the last two years now. And I just can't do it. Is that an age, is that an age thing? Is that something to consider when you get sort of like you creep over that photo? I, I think it is. I just need more time off from the strength stuff. The endurance, I feel like, just like I was when I was twenty five in terms yeah. of recovery. But I, I've tried lots of different methods now and tried, you know, whether it's is it just the forearms, is it my legs, is it core, back, shoulders, yeah. particular to certain muscle groups, and it doesn't seem to be that way. It seems to be. It's all across the body. I just need a bit more time off. And how often would you deload at that? Like, if you were in a strength phase, would you would you be looking at a three week meso, or would you still stick to fours? Uh, I try and get up to threes yeah. a bit more, yeah. But it depends on how hard I'm going in that cycle with endurance work as well. So if I'm not adding in loads of endurance work, because I've got a capacity, because I've trained for so so many years for so so hard, I have a high load capacity. So if I'm not doing endurance, I can definitely do three work three working weeks of strength work and then deload whereas if i've got endurance on top of it it has to be too hard one easy so at the moment like that's what i'm doing and i'm having to have an easy week this week because i did two very hard weeks yeah, and i am yeah. feeling it big time yeah that's good that, that's really interesting that because i'd have sort of like always assumed as a, from a coaching side of things that i start to consider that three week meso and so like higher intensity, lower volume, once you start to creep above the 50 mark. So it's quite interesting that you've sort of like said that that's actually like 
10 years earlier than what, what I had in my head. Mm. I don't know whether it's because I also have the combination that I work pretty hard and I've got yeah. a general, the allostatic load in my life for sure is quite high and it's not the healthiest thing ever. So I maybe just have to respect the fact that that's maybe yeah. also impacting it further because I do notice that if I go away on trips and I'm kind of out of the normalities of life and there's this other version of life which isn't really real is that my recovery feels like it's it's quite a bit different yeah. but I've got other things not going on so yeah it is quite different I think um so we discussed the sort of like the first six months of like a child's life and and how we had to change did that change for you between let's say six months and 12 months or six months and 18 months or did that sort of like did your pattern continue to stay the same then or did you did you sort of like readjust again I think after six months I came to the reality thing and my expectations hadn't been how I thought so then it was more like right stuff has to, stuff has to change and there's going to be a change in life lifestyle and pace etc and some habits but then it was when children start to toddle around, walk, crawl, and you can't combine the same activities in the same way. So very early on, there was still some opportunities, even though I didn't do it very frequently, to go to the wall and maybe have them in a pram with you. And you can sit them in the pram for 30 seconds, do a boulder problem, then come back and amuse them for three minutes and then go back to another bold problem. That's kind of doable, but there is no way I'm prepared to go to a climbing wall and have a three-year-old running around. It's so dangerous. I'm Other sure. people don't like it and everything like that. So I was like, no, I'm not doing yeah. this. And that that was the big change. Yeah, that was, a, I was a very similar, so. Same in the garage yeah. or like in the garden. You can't do it, can you? No, I couldn't, I couldn't concentrate. It, it wasn't very workable for me. Because I, I had, like, the first six months where I was doing the, the sort of, like, the early morning four o'clock session, and that's where I felt like I, I found a little bit of time within my day. So I'd, I would do that three times a week, and it almost felt like I was... I had this idea that I was going to train, say, ten hours a week, and then all of a sudden I couldn't because I couldn't get those big sessions in. And of that ten hours that I wanted to do, with those morning sessions, it felt like I was sort of, like, stealing an hour back. So it's like, oh, I've only got nine hours to find out. Well, if I do that three times a week, I've only got seven hours to find. And it, it almost felt like I was pinching time back but when he dropped that four o'clock bottle I did quickly fall back into old habits and it wasn't until probably a couple of months after that when I really wanted to start improving I think it was coming up to the winter I'd set myself this goal of climbing my first um, 8B sport route and I just knew that I had to find some time somewhere like or had to make some time available and then I was like oh two months ago I was doing the morning session can I grind that out again like I'm not going to do that at four o'clock again but can I do that at potentially five o'clock? Because I regularly started work at sort of like half six, seven. So I, I had an hour and a half potentially. But I definitely didn't want to neglect my, sl my sleep patterns at that time. I didn't want to sort of like continue going to bed at 10.30 and then getting up at, at five o'clock when I was going to bed at 10.30 and getting up at six or 6.30. So what I sort of like, again, it was a little bit of a light bulb moment is why can't I just go to bed earlier? and then get up earlier, which sounds so simple. But at the time, I was like, oh, that's a really good idea, that. But, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It does that. It sounds really stupid. So what I, I, I kind of felt like what I was doing is turning in a really unproductive evening because I would literally just sit watching Lost with my wife. 
like great series but it's pretty unproductive with your time just sitting with a cup of tea so I felt like I was changing this really unproductive evening into a really productive morning and then so I did that a couple of times a week and that kind of set a precedent then really for the next few years but a similar thing sort of happens again is my, my son was sleeping at seven o'clock at night and I was going to bed at nine and that was the time that me and my wife spent together but then I sort of like can I sneak a couple of don't don't be greedy but can I sneak a couple of seven while eight thirties in, in per week and that's a little bit more time taken towards the training so I ended up having two or three split sessions where I would do morning and night, rest day, morning and night, rest day, morning and night, rest day, and then climb outdoors on Sundays or indoors in the winter, depending on, on the season. And that felt like I sort of like, I set into a really nice pattern where I wasn't really suffering from parental guilt because my kids were asleep in the morning there at that point when I was training. And equally, they were asleep at night when I'm training in the evening. I didn't feel like I was being overly selfish with my wife because I was spending every other evening with her plus the weekends. And I was consistently improving as a climber. So I, I, I felt like that my levels were still going up. I was being a good parent and I was being a really good husband as well. And that sort of like ticked over it, maybe the six, seven month mark. And I, I've, I've kind of stuck with that pattern now, right up to my son's coming up to five now. And I, I've kind of just been chipping away doing the same thing because it works really well. I've got a really good relationship with my wife and I feel like I'm a good parent and I've got a good relationship with my kids as well. So I don't feel like my climbing has impacted my family life. Mm. I, I really I really like that, that sort of like that system. I think it's really difficult and I don't think it's for everyone. I definitely feel like you've got to be in... Not that I'm saying that I'm in like an upper percentage of people who are willing to do that, but that's definitely not for everyone. But if you can make it work and you are motivated, you will definitely see improvements. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes without saying that it's a, it's a harsh and hard reality for all sides of the equation. Your other half, your children, you, how you work, your life and your time. And if it was the other way around and becoming a parent made it so much easier to train hard and climb really hard, we'd see a general pattern of more and more people taking up climbing, getting better and better during that period. So I feel like it's just a case of going, going into the situation and realizing with eyes wide open that this is going to be tough and it's going to be hard work and it requires lots of compromises. And that's the better situation to go in it. In some ways in like, when you go into an injury situation is rather than going, ah, I hate this can't stand it, it's not fair, I don't want this, just take it away, or can someone sort this out for me? Can the physio or the doctor or the surgery sort it out for me? It's going, okay, what am I left with? What actionable things can I do? What are reasonable compromises? And what's doable within the current reality situation? And it is, it is workable. It just might not be as easy as it was before. It definitely won't be as easy as it was before. No. <laughs> and when we say not as easy, we mean mean freaking hard yeah it's very very difficult it's i don't want to say stressful because it sounds really bad but god it's incredibly stressful isn't it yeah i'd say so i think the thing because i've been doing my job for quite a long time and i've i'm in a supervisor role now um with my telecommunications job sometimes you ask people to do things at work 
or they'll come to you for advice. And even with the coaching, like, people are like, people are, oh, why, why are we doing this? Or what do I need to do to improve? Or this is what you improve. And then people want to listen because you're in a position where people respect you. Come my two-year-old and my four-year-old have got zero respect for me. Like, they do not listen. It's like you're at work and you've got a level of authority and, and, and people listen to you and they respect your views. And then you go home and you just get ignored. <laughs> Don't you? Like this? I find that really, really hard to deal with. Just just that constant, can, can you go upstairs, please, and put your pyjamas on? I mean, if I asked you to, like, to put some jeans on, you'd just put some jeans on. Because yeah. I was asking, if, if I gave context to it, oh, these are a nice pair of jeans, Tom, I think they look good on you, will you try them on? Okay, John, no problem. I asked my kids to put some pyjamas on. They do not listen. Like, it ends in an argument sometimes. Like Ten minutes. And then I end up dressing him. He's four-year-old, he can dress himself. It's crazy. It's absolutely wild. And that is the harsh reality, I guess, of being a parent. It's, yeah. it's kind of fun, extremely stressful. It's sometimes fun. It's always stressful. It's always difficult. But then... I think I don't know if it's sort of like nine. Let's say let's say it's incredibly difficult for like ninety five percent of the time, but then you get these like five percent gems with children where you kind of look at them and you think, oh, do you know what they're amazing there? But then it quickly goes back to oh my god, they're stressing me out. Mm. Yeah, you get the like, they'll just shoot you a look sometimes, and so like it sounds a bit cheesy, but so like that like melts your heart sort of thing. It very very quickly turns back. But there's just these regular points with kids where you, they are amazing, but always difficult. Maybe it's like a training plan, John. It's definitely like a training plan. It's like 95% grind, maybe 98%, but then you get little magic moments where you get up the project little, little gems. and you realise it's all worth it. <laughs> just about. Yeah, just about. <laughs> okay, to round out, if we are to leave everyone listening with... Uh, like a checklist of things that we have seen with our own parenting and changing situations or the clients that we've worked with that we think are effective and work. So actionable things you can change in terms of your habits, behavior, resources, setup. What would they be for you? Be willing to change. Okay. Have your training area somewhere convenient that you want to go to. I think they're the two for me. The two major, major ones. You have got to be willing to change. Don't keep plugging away or don't expect to keep doing things the same because that's not going to happen. And if you can't, if your training area is not accessible, then you know, oh, it's dirty, in a dirty basement somewhere, and you're not going to want to go there. You're not going to go, are you? Yeah. They're the two, two major things for me. You've got to be willing to change. Okay, so adaptation and then sort out your training areas and how you can access those. Mm. I think mine would be understand that you are going to feel worse and it's going to feel harder and that's okay. So I think it's about setting expectations that this is going to be a new rule set it's a new way of living now in terms of how that balances in with climbing because if you expect that beforehand when you get into it you I think you embrace it a little bit more and you just get on with it and I would say that I agree with your thing about 
uh, resource ease, like getting access to a home board or a fingerboard in your kitchen or whatever it is. But I think the important part for parents is to make sure they're careful to track over time the amount of easy to get hold of but low skill things versus higher skill. So what I mean by that is track the amount that you're slowly spending more and more time on a fingerboard or weights at home because you can just do it and it works versus getting on real rock or real plastic indoor moves because over time you'll there'll be a drip of lack of skill and it'll slowly drift and I think you have to be aware of that that'd be the other thing I would say would be very important yeah. to stay on top of yeah that's definitely that's a good one because it's such a movement based sport and certain like how many times have you seen people who are, are weak for the grade but they're, they're still there and it's because they can move really well like you cannot neglect that element of your profile it's just way too important and I think I've I don't say I don't want to say that I've fallen into that trap, but I definitely enjoy fingerboarding. Like it makes me feel good. But I've always had that two days a week where I've either been on a, a fifty degree board. I know it's sort of like really flat and it just big muscle groups, big moves. But it's still movement. Like some movement is better than nothing. Yeah, I mean I, I've done so much more fingerboarding from becoming a parent, but it I have to be very careful how much I do of it versus other stuff so i would rather now and i'm and i'm getting better at it is spend find a way to make one hour of quality movement in the week over four hours of fingerboarding if i had those two options yeah. it's more important <clears throat> now to just do one hour of quality movement over four hours of fingerboarding even though i go ah, oh, i it's so much easier to do the fingerboarding it's so hard right now, this week, to get yeah. out, especially with conditions or work or whatever it is. It's, it's more important. That's for you personally, but what if, the, what if it was someone who was incredibly weak for the grade and their movement was incredible? Would you have the same advice? Or would you say, do you know what, we can neglect this a little bit? And let, let's just... I think it drifts during parenthood yeah. because you default, because of the setup, you default to convenience and doing things which are easier and easier to do. And that often means that you spend less time out the crag, pottering around, doing lots and lots of mileage. If you're in a similar situation to us, I, I mean, granted, yeah. if you are in a, uh, a partnership where you're both really obsessed with climbing, and you're going out all the time, it, it would look very different. Yeah. But that other side of it, I think, is somewhat different in, in mine and yours particular setup. Yeah. And that's unique to us. Mm. I'll like to finish with one last point, and it's the setting a good example for our kids. Like one thing that always pops into my head is that I want to set a really good example to my kids. And whether this be the fact that I want to work hard so that we can have nice holidays and a nice home and they can, without spoiling them, they can have a nice life. That's the work aspect. I also want to set a good example to the point where if they see me set my sights high and I'm willing to work really hard for it, that you can achieve your goals. Like without sounding arrogant, I have never set myself a climbing goal that I haven't achieved and that's because I'm willing to work really hard and I think that that's the same for everybody I think if everybody is willing to work really hard you will achieve your goals I want my kids to see that so that they then carry that into their lives so that whatever they want and I genuinely believe this that 
you can achieve anything if you are willing to work really hard for it. Yes, it's going to be really hard, but I do honestly believe that that you can achieve anything. And that's that's what I want. I got that from my grandparents. Like They worked 60 and 65 hours a week so that they could take us on family holidays. They instilled that really good work ethic in me. And now I want to sort of like continue that family trait almost and instill that into my kids. I won't force that upon them, but I think that by me setting the standard high, they can then potentially set the standard even higher. And that could be like a climbing grade, for instance. My kids might not climb, but if I set the standard at, as a family at 8C or 8C+, plus, where, wherever I end up, maybe my son will think, or one of my sons will think, oh, Dad did that. I'm incredibly proud of that, but I'm going one better. Do you know what I mean? And that that that'd be really nice. And that doesn't it doesn't have to be climbing. Like I'm a really keen runner as well. And maybe one of my kids will do the Bob Graham. Maybe I'll do the Bob Graham. Who knows? But yeah, it's, I just I just I want them to sort of like respect me, but almost respect the example that I've set as well. Just as my grandparents did for me. Amazing. But, um, that's a nice way to finish. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, I hope you've all enjoyed listening. And yeah, as a final kind of caveat, I suppose, and cover all is that I do want to make sure that you all know that this is very specifically mine and John's setup and that parenting for every single parent or couple does end up being very, very different. So every situation is different, every child is very different, but we do hope that us sharing our experiences and I think being reasonably blunt and honest about some of this stuff is helpful for you. And we hope you've enjoyed listening. There'll be more stuff coming up on this subject this year and we will check in with you again very soon.